To the First Unitarian Society of Denver podcast. Thank you for joining us on this journey of the mind, the heart, and the spirit. You may find us on the web at fusden.org or find us on Facebook. This week's selection is from First Unitarian's online service held Sunday, December 6, 2020. The title is Victimism, and the homily is by Reverend Mike Moran. First Unitarian. So perhaps like many of you and like many commentators at the time, I was struck last summer by the woman in Central Park in New York City who was asked by a black man who was there bird watching to put her dog on a leash, uh, which leash she was holding in her hand. And in response, after refusing to put her dog on a leash and after a few words, she said, I'm going to call the police and tell them I'm being threatened by a black man. And she did. She called the police. She told them twice she was being threatened by an African-American man, and when she didn't get the response she was apparently hoping for, she said it a third time, this time pretending to be in great distress. I'm being threatened by a man in the ramble. Please send the cops immediately. And we know all this happened because the man filmed it all while standing still and speaking calmly, perhaps 25 feet away from where she was making the call, while holding on to her dog, still unleashed with her other hand. So I learned a new word uh, not too long ago. Uh, The word is victimism. The tendency to play the victim, the adoption of a victimized persona, as in, And I made up this sentence, as in Amy Cooper used victimism as a weapon, knowingly and intentionally putting a black man's life in danger. Because she knew, as we all know, as just as the black man knew, that white people imagining or just inventing aggression on the part of black men, especially towards white women, has a long history of being justification to inflict great bodily harm and control onto black people. To be fair, Amy Cooper did issue an apology later, admitting she had acted wrongly and irrationally by trying to put the man in danger. But victimism, I've been thinking about victimism, and victimism happens all the time. One of those things that once you see it, you just see it everywhere. I've seen it in neighborhoods and in churches. Someone acts out, makes an accusation, disrupts some plan from going forward, and when they get called on their behavior, immediately switch from accuser to victim. No one listens to me. The group is oppressive or exclusive. So-and-so didn't play fair or isn't playing fair or whatever. And then the community or the group um, finds itself on the defensive, trying to take care of the person who disrupted things in the first place. If you've ever tried to set a healthy or appropriate boundary with someone about your time or your energy or your privacy, and then somehow you find yourself on the defensive... 
you might well have run into victimism. Instead of simply respecting the boundary, someone instead uses it as a way to feel and express feeling personally slighted, excluded, hurt, or insulted, playing on your desire to be a good person, to manipulate you into feeling bad and turning the attention back onto themselves. I've seen people do this without even knowing they were doing it. I've seen this in marriages. I've seen people I love and value do this kind of thing. It happens a lot. It works. One all-too-common example is what I recently heard referred to, and I actually really like this phrase, grievance conservatism. Grievance conservatism is when conservatives complain about being under attack or being excluded or being canceled or otherwise oppressed when someone disagrees with them or chooses to not have them speak at a college or event or calls them out on something dishonest or misleading that they've said. I think the entire fake news motif of the current president and his sycophants is a fine example of victimism. They would like you to believe that if the press reports what they actually said, or asks them hard questions, or questions their decisions, or notices that their political or judicial appointments are unqualified, or investigates possible crimes committed them or report by them, or reports anything that is unflattering, that they are somehow the victims of a vicious, biased, dishonest conspiracy. And millions of people believe them. That's amazing. That's testimony, I think, to the effectiveness of the strategy. A more subtle variant of victimism, I believe, is to be found in the modern prosperity gospel and New Age theology. About 11 years ago, mostly out of curiosity, I took the introductory class at a large church of religious science. This is a significant, this is a significant commitment at this particular church, 10 weeks of class with homework at a cost of about $200. There were something like 150 people in my class. They make the membership class at First Unitarian look like nothing whatsoever. The lead pastor taught the first few sessions, and about the third or fourth week, he was talking about the power of thought and the power of belief and how he believed that everything in our lives Everything was there because we had brought it there. Everything that had ever happened to us, we had allowed or attracted through our own actions or inactions, even things that might be seen to be outside of our control, again, in some cosmic transcendent way, he was saying we somehow needed that experience or subconsciously invited it into our lives. Now, about the time he was saying that, I was frowning pretty hard. I was thinking about all the people I had helped memorialize, people who had passed from cancer or strokes or some other painless, painful illness, some of them children. I was thinking about how my wife and my three sisters and just about every woman I've ever been involved with has been sexually assaulted or raped. I was thinking about the hundreds of emotionally disturbed teenagers I used to work with, some of whom had real mental illnesses, but most of whom had just been traumatized by abuse 
or neglect, abandonment, or drugs. So I raised my hand and I challenged him in that class. I said, did he really mean to say that victims of rape and murder and assault somehow had a hand in bringing those events into their lives? And I got to say, he was, he was pretty slick. He deflected, minimized, tried to make it sound as if there were greater mysterious divine forces at work in the universe, but I wasn't letting him off that easy. I said something like, you mean to tell me that they... Hundreds of thousands of children who are starving to death right at this moment in slums and refugee camps across the world somehow brought that condition into their lives in some kind of cosmic, karmic way. And while he tried to place it in the context of transcendent souls who would return in some other form or situation and so nothing was permanent the basic answer was yes even if we don't understand it we are responsible for everything in our lives and at the time i thought well that's just bullpucky but since then i've come to see it as more than just bullpucky i've come to see it as a dangerous, maybe even an evil, theological setup. Worse than original sin, actually, which was, given, was in fact given to you from beyond your control, and for which you can at least be forgiven. But this, this, this was the ultimate victim-blaming. Every possible bad thing that could ever happen to you was your own fault, and you couldn't even blame God. So I finished the class, all 10 sessions, and I'm glad I did because it made it easier to see and recognize the victim blaming that is so baked into the fabric of so many of our own social structures in this country. The way our country treats poverty and immigrants, the way it whitewashes slavery and redlining and mass incarceration while denying reparations. The way law enforcement and even many churches treat women who have been sexually assaulted, stalked, or harassed by putting the fault onto the actual victim, even symbolically or subconsciously. Victim blaming is a form of victimism. As if society or the public is somehow the victim of all the people like who dare to live in poverty or have the audacity to complain about systemic racism or demand to be treated humanely or any other number of attempts to ask for justice or acknowledgement. So I was imagining... How would I have a conversation with a victimist such as I've been describing? Maybe the, maybe the president or one of, those, uh, one of the fake news, one of those accusers of fake news. And I was thinking about Rabbi Kushner's three-step response to seemingly intractable conversations. Rabbi Kushner, you might remember, says he never's, never enters a contentious conversation by saying, you know, I think you're wrong and let me tell you why. He says that never gets anywhere. Instead, 
he follows a simple formula that I've spoken of many times from this pulpit. He starts with, this is where I'm coming from. And this is where it leads me. And this is why I find it satisfying. He says this still rarely changes anyone's mind, but this approach does dramatically raise the odds of having a real conversation instead of a pointless argument. So, regarding victimism, here's where I'm coming from. There are real victims in this world. People who have personally experienced cruelty, crime, poverty, assault, prejudice, exclusion, and so on through absolutely no fault of their own. In a cosmic, theological, or evolutionary sense, it seems clear to me that a lot of random stuff happens in this world. From asteroids crashing into the earth and killing the dinosaurs, to the luck of the draw when it comes to your genes and your particular odds of getting cancer or sickle cell or schizophrenia or living to be 100 years old, from the unlikely odds that your parents or mine met each other just when they did to begin the series of events that created you and me, to children born in refugee camps or the random drunk driver who happened to crash into your family member who just happened to be on a particular road at a particular time. There is no God I could possibly accept who decides ahead of time which of two siblings who go off to war will never come back again, or which child would be attending first grade at Sandy Hook Elementary School on December 14, 2012. None of us have complete self-determination over our lives. Stuff happens. And, and, Many of us, maybe most of us, do have a great deal of self-determination over our lives. Where that leads me is that I believe we have a responsibility to use our lives wisely and compassionately. And if possible, use our agency to alleviate the unnecessary suffering, and victimhood of others. I find this satisfying because I believe we are all in this life together. Human and non-human life. Together with sunlight and with water systems and with breathable air and forests and plankton in the sea. Whatever we make, whenever we make life better for some small corner of the world, we make it a little better for all the world, and in turn that makes it better again for us. That's how interconnected I believe that we are. Jesus said, I send you out, and so be wise as serpents and gentle as doves. And this is my wish for all of us. Let us be wise enough to see through the phony victimism rampant in our social and political world and gentle enough to respond in love to the real hurt that has been done. Amen.
our benediction today. May you be blessed with discomfort at easy answers, half-truths, and superficial relationships so that you may live deep within your heart. May you be blessed with anger at injustice, oppression, and exploitation so that you may work for justice and peace. May you be blessed with tears to shed for those who suffer pain, rejection, starvation, and war, so that you may reach out your hand to comfort them and turn their pain into joy. And may you be blessed with enough foolishness to believe that you can make a difference in this world, because indeed you can, and you do. Amen, friends, and thank you for being with us this morning.